when people design things, they make, they make them the way they please. If, if you're going to make something, you, you make it how you, how you want. The people who make computers, make them the way they want. Those who make phones, make the phones the way they, they please. And they usually have a right to their designs. They make designs and they patent them. They have a right to them. They, their designs become theirs. Designers make things for a particular purpose. So if a designer makes a phone, it has a purpose. The designer designs the seat, it has its purpose. Designers make things for a particular purpose. And even though replicas may be made, they have to be modeled after the initial design, looking exactly like it. Now, I'm telling you this so that I may also say that marriage is God's design. As we've been considering these things about wives, the responsibilities for the wives and the husbands, we are talking really about marriage. And marriage is God's design, which is what the verse before us grants. He's the one who made it. God made marriage. And therefore God has all the rights to it. Marriage is definitely under attack today. In fact, to simply say that marriage is under attack is an understatement. We have all sorts of things going on today. And even though the preacher tells us that there is nothing new under the sun, really we have a redefining of marriage that I'm not sure has been seen from the beginning of the world. What we have today is scary in the way people are redefining, redefining marriage. We have polygamy with both polygyny and polyandry. Polygyny is where you have a man who has many wives. Polyandry is where you have a woman who has many husbands, all at the same time. We have homosexuality. You have polyamory. Polyamory is where you have uh, multiple partners consenting to live with one another. So you can have one man with more than four or five wives uh, or a, a wife with more than five husbands. M multiple partners really agreeing to, to live together. That, that's what polyamory is. We have, come, we, we have come to have what we call come we stay or come we risk as some people may call it. Now polygamy is not marriage. Homosexuality is not marriage. Polyamory is not marriage. Come we stay or come we risk is not marriage. Anything else really that is not God's definition of marriage is not marriage. But what is marriage? I'm hoping that you will be helped to know what it is by the end of the sermon. Now, our Baptist forefathers penned down, um, uh, penned down this phrase for the sake of marriage. Paragraph 1 of the chapter of marriage. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. Neither is it lawful for any man to have more than one wife, nor for any woman to have more than one husband at the same time. And this is what we considered when we were going through that chapter there of marriage in our confession. 
And so God has particularly given marriage in a particular way. Uh, marriage has been granted, granted to us by God and it ought to look a certain way where God has given it to us. Uh, before we look at the verses before us, perhaps it is important to say that um, the matter at hand or the matter that we are considering is an origins matter. It's a thing that goes to the beginning. The word of God deals with it in several places and always points us back to the book of origins. Always points us back to the book of Genesis. In Matthew chapter 19 verse 5, Jesus says this, quoting from Genesis, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Again, in Mark chapter 10 verse 7 to 8, Jesus says the same thing. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Again, quoting from Genesis 2.24, which says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, I'd like you to notice that the apostle gives this verse as he's speaking about the relationship of the husband to the wife. He says that husbands are to love their wives the way that Christ loved the church. They are to love their wives in a sanctifying love, uh, a cleansing kind of love, a beautifying love so that he might present the church to himself in splendor and without spot or wrinkle. And this way that Christ loves the church, the husband is to love his wife. You are told that the husband is to love his wife the way he loves his body as himself. The same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It's as though he's loving his, his own body. And the picture there is one of Christ loving his body. Which you call the body of Christ. Him being the head. For no one ever hated his own flesh. But nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. And so it is out of this then that verse 31 flows that Paul now gives this quotation from Genesis 2.24 that husbands are called to love their wives as their own bodies. And the apostle says there that therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. My someone this morning is titled The Man and His Wife are one flesh the man and his wife are one flesh and i've titled it like this because number one of their living of their parents which is what we're going to see in that verse because of their living of their parents because of their leave their cleaving to one another and because of their joining god himself i've changed the last um the last point there as i sent it to you um, so that it may it may sound like the others. So the man and his wife are one flesh because number one of their living of their parents, <clears throat> because number two of their cleaving to one another, and because number three of their joining by God Himself. Let's consider those verses one after another. Number one, 
the man and his wife are one flesh because of their living of their parents. Look with me at verse 31 there. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Therefore, a man sh shall leave his father and mother. The Apostle Paul says that this now is seen in the man leaving his father and mother, the union, the, the becoming one flesh of the man and his wife is seen in the man leaving his father and his mother. The man and his wife are one flesh because they leave their parents. They leave their parents. The text explicitly says that the man leaves his father and mother. But surely the meaning, the meaning here also applies to the wife. Because she also leaves her father and mother, right? So, so it explicitly speaks to the man leaving his father and mother, but it also speaks to the wife because it automatically follows that the wife will also leave her father and her mother. Now, the word leave there means to go away from. And in this case, it is intentionally going away from from one's parents for the purposes of holding fast to a wife. And let me quickly say here that this is not the leaving of I have left and I'm going to marry. It's not the kind of leaving that we have today. I have left, gone to school and I have found a wife there. It's not that kind of leaving. This is a proper realization of the man that he was born into a family unit and now the time has come for him to start his own family unit. That's what the living there implies. When, he li when he's leaving his parents, he he's realizing that he was born into this family unit. But now he has to go and form his own family unit. And therefore, leaving his father and his mother. This is the living that respects the God-given order of father and mother. And not the kind of thing that we see in today's society. So the man does leave his parents. He goes away from them. That he may go and have a wife. There comes a time when the son leaves his father and mother. And this for a more important duty, which is to be a husband. Now, just notice with me, for the sake of noticing, that today we have a notion that marriage is not a good idea for, for a young man. If a young man wants to get married, more often than not, they are discouraged rather than being encouraged. Hmm? We live in a society that looks down on a young man who desires to marry and looks at him as though he's about to make the biggest mistake of his life. While the truth of the matter is, if this young man truly knows the meaning of marriage and is committing himself to it, then this would be the greatest responsibility that he would ever take on in his life. Not, not going to school, not uh, having a great job, earning a lot of money. The greatest responsibility that any man, any given man would ever take upon his life is to leave his parents so that he may get married. The man leaves his father and mother. And what we have to understand here is that he moves away from the care and provision, protection of his father and mother. Now, this does not mean that he stops being a son. When he says there, a man shall leave his father and mother, it doesn't mean that he stops being a son. 
he continues to be his father's son and his mother's son. Rather, what this means is that he recognizes that there is a new relationship that he is now forming, which is greater in importance than that of being a son. Listen to what John Calvin says here. Quote, A son is bound by an inviolable law of nature to perform his duties towards his father. And when the obligations of a husband towards his wife are declared to be stronger, their force is the better understood. He who resolves to be a good husband will not fail to perform his filial duties, but will regard marriage as more sacred than all other ties. So when the Bible says that he leaves his father and mother, it's not saying that he stops being a son. Really what he's saying is that he regards this other relationship that he's going to form as more important, more sacred. His leaving his father and mother shows that he holds this new relationship as of utmost importance, the most important relationship in his life. He leaves his father and mother, and as we're going to see, he cleaves to his wife. Notice here that the Bible explicitly speaks in a way that shows that marriage is monogamous. Monogamous. This man has his father and mother. One man, one woman. Right? There are no men mothers. And men cannot be women. And women cannot be men. You know, we are quickly, quickly being overtaken by this wave of uh, Western uh, brainwashing. That a man can have children if this man has transitioned to be a woman. And you hear the absurdity of that statement. The Bible explicitly speaks in a way that shows marriage is monogamous. There's a, there's a father here, one man. There's a mother here, one woman. Not his mothers or his fathers, you know, as the LGBTQ movement would want to brainwash us. Or what the polygamous marriages would, would grant us. No. It's not um, a man shall leave his father and two mothers, or uh, mother and two fathers, or two fathers or two mothers. No. It's his father and his mother. The Bible is clear. The assumption here is that this father and mother are married. They are married. And this is the perfect representation of the family unit. Now, I use the word perfect because you have single mothers and single fathers. Or, and you have others who are orphans being cared by guardians. But this right here is the perfect representation of the family unit. One man, one woman. One father, one mother, and this man who is leaving his father and mother is going to be joined to his wife to form a one man, one woman union. And so this leaving of their parents grants their one flesh union. They become one after properly leaving their parents. Men, if you seek to be married here, if you're not married, you seek to be married. To be joined to a woman, leave your parents properly. And ensure that the woman leaves her home properly as well. The Bible says, a man shall leave his father and his mother. And it is in this way then that he becomes, he becomes one. He has his wife as his body. As the apostle has been saying there. Honor your parents if you want to get married. 
Don't stay together in the same house as though you're married with a woman and you have not left your parents in a proper biblical way. The Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother if he's going to have a wife. All the cohabiting that, that we see today, and unfortunately it's very common, is sinful. It is sinful. You have to maintain that. It is sinful. And God does not smile on it even a bit. He doesn't. If you cohabit with a woman, men, without properly leaving your parents and having her leave her parents properly, you will be sinning. You will be sinning. You need to repent if you are in that state or if you, if you may have been in that state. You need to repent because you're sinning. All your energies need to be put in ensuring that you properly leave your father and your mother if you want to get married. And that the woman do the same. That you come together if you're going to become one flesh. The Bible says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. So the apostle says there. Number two, the man and his wife are one flesh because of their cleaving to one another. Because of their cleaving to one another. Look with me at verse 31 again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and do what? And hold fast to his wife. It is only when the man has properly left his father and mother that he is supposed to have a wife. Now, this is very important for us. The people that are married here in this church have properly left their mothers and their fathers to be joined with one another. The men that are married here have properly left their fathers and mothers. They have properly honored their fathers and mothers them to get the wives that they have. Any man who is not able to leave his father and mother should not have a wife. Or perhaps I should have said that leaving the fa your father and mother includes honoring them in the way you get a wife and being responsible, being able to work hard, being able to take responsibility, the responsibility of not only your life, but also the life of another, which is the woman, the wife. So any, any man who is not able to leave his father and mother should not have, have a wife. The phrase hold fast there is in other translations rendered cleave. KJV grants cleave or join as we have it in the NASB. To hold fast means to hold tightly. And it's the kind of thing that we sing when we say he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Hold tightly too. Literally the meaning is to, to glue. To, to stick together as with a glue. That's what it means. And this is the idea of cleaving. And as you're going to see later on, it is as, as it were becoming one flesh, becoming one man, one body. He takes her. She becomes his. The idea here is that there is unity between these two. A voluntary union between the man and now his wife. They... they, they, they Hold fast to one another. The man leaves his father and mother and he holds fast to his wife. Now, the joining or cleaving of man to a woman should only happen when there has been a leaving of father and mother. 
When a man comes to cleave, to hold fast to a woman, he is at the same time committing to leave his father and mother. In fact, he only should cleave after he has left his father and mother. That's what the apostle says, therefore, a man shall leave. It's in that order. He leaves and then he cleaves. He holds fast to his wife. Notice there that he is holding fast, cleaving to his wife. Again, not wives. The Bible says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. It is one wife, not many wives. Again, the language that the Bible uses clearly tells us what marriage is. There is no ambiguity in the words or, or phrases as some would have us believe. The Bible is absolutely clear on what this is. If you keenly look at those words, you will see, easily see, what marriage is. The man is cleaving to his wife. This one man, be, sorry, this one woman becomes his. Becomes his. And the idea here is that the authority responsibility shifts. So you see when he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The idea there is that there is a shifting in the authority responsibilities. The wife stops being a father's daughter and she becomes a husband's wife. Now this is to say that even though she is still a daughter, she is first a wife, then a daughter. She becomes his. The man leaves his father and mother and holds, holds fast to his wife. And this is because the man has left his father and mother and is now to hold fast to his wife. And she becomes his. It is upon this basis that the apostle says, look at verse 25. Down to verse 30. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. The wife becomes becomes the body of the husband as it were it is that now she is like his body by virtue of his clinging to her his cleaving to her and her to him the cleaving here also has a reference to intimacy and as you're going to see in the next point God blesses their union by joining them and allowing them to have sex allowing them to be intimate <clears throat> So there should be no cleaving in the intimate sense if there, has, if there has not been leaving. If leaving has not taken place, there should be no, no cleaving. No, no leaving, no cleaving. No proper marriage, no sex. So the holding fast comes after the leaving. The man and his wife are one flesh because of their cleaving to one another. 
they are one flesh because the man leaves his father and his mother by implication the woman does the same they are one flesh because they cleave to one another the man cleaves to his wife by implication the wife does the same the woman number 3 and lastly the man and his wife are one flesh because of their joining by god himself because god joins them god is the one who brings them together look with me at that verse one last time therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh now it must be noted here before anything else that it is god who has brought these two people together and the apostle says there and the two shall become one flesh he is essentially acknowledging the one flesh union of a man and a woman which only god makes possible it's only god who makes it possible they have been joined by god himself their one flesh union is made possible by god himself now we teach you to be good bible students and because of this then you may be asking yourself i hope you are asking yourself why is the preacher saying this while the text doesn't quite say this hmm? the text doesn't quite say that it is god who brings them together so so, so why would i be saying that now this is a good question indeed <clears throat> let me request you to turn to matthew chapter 19 I try to refrain myself from asking you to look at another passage but this one is necessary matthew 19 because it speaks to the same thing matthew chapter 19 verses Let's let's do verse 3 forward. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, this is Jesus now, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Jesus now answers, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and look at verse 6 so they are no longer two but one flesh and then jesus says something interesting there what therefore god has joined let not man separate this becoming one flesh that the apostle is quoting from genesis jesus says it's god who has brought them together it's god who has joined them and what therefore god has joined together brought together uh, formed a one flesh union in this man and this woman no man should separate so they are they are no longer two but one flesh what therefore god has joined together let not man separate you see there that god is the one who is joining these people making them one flesh God is the one bringing them together and therefore making them one flesh. That's the most important thing that we should notice there. Now notice with me again the clarity of the biblical language. The Bible says and the two the two not the three 
not not the four, not the five or six or any other number. It's the two. And it's these two that, that become one flesh. Again, marriage is monogamous. It's between one man and one woman. The two being referred to there are the man leaving his father and mother, cleaving to his wife, holding fast to his wife. Those are the only two being talked about there. It's not a man leaving and another man. Not a, a, a woman and another woman, no. It's not a man and two women or three women. No. It's monogamous. These two become one flesh. It's between one man and one woman. That, my brethren, cannot be overemphasized, especially in this day and time that we live in. Anything else that does not, does not look like this is a perversion and should be rejected with all our might. This is why we, we struggle with people who are not faithful. We, we must struggle with what's going on in our society today. Fornication, adultery. We must struggle with this. These two, we are told there, shall become one flesh. And the two shall become one flesh. And the meaning of this is that they, they become one person. It simply means that they, they, they become one, one man. In the sense in which Adam describes there in Genesis chapter 2 verse 23. So God has created everything. Everything is good. He has created man. Man has finished naming the animals. And there is no helper fit for him. There is no helper suitable for him. And God says that it is not good that a man should be alone. In everything that God has created, he has been saying that it is good. It is good. Only for one thing that God does not see goodness. And he says it's not good. And it's that, that, that the man is alone. Now when, when God sees this, he takes the rib of the man, forms a woman, having caused Adam into, uh, to, to, to sleep deeply. And then when Adam wakes up, he says this, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She shall be called Isha. Because she was taken out of man, Ish. They become one body. They become one man. They become of one substance, if you will. And this is what the apostle has been arguing for in the preceding verses. Look at verse 28 of Ephesians 5. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as what? As what? As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves what? Loves what? Loves himself. For no one ever hated his what? His own flesh. But nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church because you are members of his body. The man and the wife become one. In the sense that they are, they are one flesh. They are one man. They, they, they have this uh, not only union in the sense that they, they are married. They sign a paper. Union in the sense that God brings them together to make them one. The concerns of the man become the concerns of the woman. The concerns of the woman become the concerns of the man. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
First Corinthians chapter seven. Paul says there in verse two, because of sexual, uh, because of temp- the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Have you asked yourself why? Why? Because they are one flesh. They are united together like that. Then he says, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Um, I also wanted to point out the the, the text there that says that um, the concerns of the Husbands, the husband is for his wife. Because I can't find it now. You get the point. That the, uh, the man and the woman become one flesh. The apostle has been arguing... That this is how it is with Christ and his church. Right? It's how it is with Christ and his, his body. He has made us part of his body by his spirit. He has united us to himself. And in this union, we become his body. That's what the apostle is arguing. When he says, therefore, that no one ever hated his own flesh, the husband should love his wife, it's because there is this one flesh union that God makes. In a similar fashion, then the apostle says that the husband and the wife become one body and one flesh. Matthew Henry says here, quote, A man's children are pieces of himself, but his wife is himself. As this is a reason why husbands should love their wives, so it is a reason why they should not put away their wives. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh or cut it off, but nourishes and cherishes it. And does all he can to preserve it. End quote. So they are one flesh. They become one body, as it were. There is also an intimacy aspect of the one flesh union here being spoken of. When the man properly leaves his father and mother and holds fast, holds fast to his wife, what happens? The Bible says that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed in Genesis 2.25. The language implies that they are intimate sexually. Their one flesh union is consummated in intimacy. The language prohibits prohibits this from happening if the man has not properly left his father and mother to be properly joined to his wife. So that intimacy apart from a proper biblical marital union, is prohibited in the Bible. The Bible celebrates sex only in the context of marriage. Listen to what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle grants um, 
that believers, it tells the Corinthians to flee from sexual immorality. In verses 15 and 16, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? He says, never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? The Bible uses this language. And then the apostle says, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. And so you see the one flesh union there is also brought about by their intimacy. So that sex outside proper biblical marriage is a perversion of the gift given to those only who are one flesh. Them becoming one flesh also speaks to their sexual intimacy. So this text here tells us that God joins these people together. This man leaves uh, his father and his mother is joined to his wife. They are brought together by God. He joins them together that they may become one flesh. It is on the basis of this that the husband is told, love your wife. Give yourself for your wife the way Christ has done for his church. It is this statement here that makes that God makes in Genesis 2.24 that dismisses all other ideas that try to redefine marriage. Everything else that tries to make marriage what it is, it is not, this statement right here dismisses it. Because it defines for us what marriage is. If the union of the man and his wife makes them one flesh, and this is based on the fact that the woman was formed from man, how can two men or two women become one flesh? How can multiple partners become one flesh? Do you see the point? The implication here is that the woman was specifically made for the man. And it is, it is this context that marriage is what, it, is what it is. It is in this context only that marriage is what God defines it to be. The context of the one man and one woman who live and cleave to one another so that they may become one flesh. I was once having a conversation with some of my cousins. The debate was, was about whether one can have you know, multiple partners or one can marry uh, multiple wives. And you know those family gatherings. Eh? You go and you meet with your family members and you talk about all sorts of things. And we just so happened to talk about this. And it was shocking to me to hear some of them say that they they would be willing to be a second wife. And however much uh, uh, you know, I sought to bring the word of God to them, they wouldn't take it. They wouldn't see the word of God for what it is. This I attribute to the perversion that the society has granted. Sin has permeated, perverted the good gift that God has given. Now, we will quickly say, no, no. One man, one woman. But then, sometimes we are complacent. Sometimes we are even okay. You know, people who claim to be Christians are not only complacent, but they are okay with the fact that men can have side cheeks or mpango wakando. 
Now you and I should refuse anything else that is not marriage. We should be concerned when people are living as though they are married while they are not. They are not honoring God's command here of the living, the cleaving, and the one flesh union that God grants. We should be quick to rebuke and even dismiss anyone who flaunts the idea that marriage can be anything else other than what God defines it to be. Now, remember I asked the question, what is marriage? This is the definition that I gave myself. Marriage is the proper living of the parents by a man and a woman for the purposes of cleaving to one another which upon God's blessing are joined by him into a one flesh union. Again, marriage is the proper living of the parents by a man and a woman for the purposes of cleaving to one another which upon God's blessing are joined by him into a one flesh union. Marriage can't be anything else. It's one man, one woman being joined by God. Now in conclusion, please notice that both in the verses that come before and those that come after this one, this verse 31, marriage is shown to be something more than just the union of these two individuals. First, it is an institution. It's instituted at creation. And that's then a creation ordinance. But then also, it is a picture of something greater than the two individuals who are getting married. The two individuals who come together to form marriage. It's a picture of the relationship that Christ has with his church. Now, this doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, two real individuals are involved in this whole matter of marriage. But then, it is something more than these two people. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because, number one, of the instituting of it in creation, no one can redefine marriage. However much we pervert, uh, we want to pervert the, the things that God has made, it can never be redefined. God is the one who defines it because it is his design. He is the one that sees the man is alone and decides to give him a wife. And then this is also important because of the gospel. It is more than just the two people, not only because of the institution, but also because of the gospel. The picture of Christ and his church. So that when two people come together to get married, and they are not Christians, why they can't because this is an institution that, that God instituted at creation, their marriage becomes insufficient. It becomes a subordinate thing because it goes no farther than just the two of them. While Christian marriage goes farther than that. It's a portrayal of the gospel between Jesus Christ and his church. Now the people who are married here, remember that always. Never forget that. Never forget wife. Never forget husband. That when, when, you, when you are together with your with your, your God-given partner, it's a picture of the gospel. Whatever, come what may, whatever happens in your life, 
It is a picture of the gospel. Remember this, young man, when you're going to get married. This is a picture of the gospel, the marriage relationship between Christ and his church. So that the way you live ought to be oozing of gospelness, if you will. Gospel truth. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like to make a few applications here before I finish. Applications. Number one, unmarried men seek to properly leave your father and mother before you call any woman your wife. <clears throat> Seek to properly leave your father and mother before you call any woman the wife. Now, this can also apply to the, to the wives or to the women. They ought to properly leave their parents if they can have a husband. A command explicitly is given to men. God says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Number two, husbands, be intimate with your wives. And wives, be intimate with your husbands. Because that is what the one flesh union grants. And we have seen, we have seen that there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Number three, sex outside of proper biblical marriage is wickedness. Because it is only granted where there is a proper living and cleaving and that one flesh union that is granted by God only in marriage. If anyone has sex out of marriage, they exercise a wickedness for which God is displeased with. Thus then we should all be encouraged to seek this intimacy if we are called to marriage in that context and not in any other, not outside of it. Should happen in the context. Now, let me say also as I conclude that it is the duty of every Christian to want to marry properly. If if anyone Christian wants to get married, they should desire to get married properly. They should do everything possible to want to be married in a biblical way, the way God requires of them. And they should want to have an upright marriage because the implications of not being properly married are dire. The implications are a violation of the proper living of the parents that God intends. The, impl the implications are a misunderstanding and hence mis misrepresentation of the cleaving aspect of this that we call marriage. And the implications are a self-deceiving of the parties involved that they have been joined by God while they have not been joined by God. While they have joined themselves and they are sinning against God and therefore they do not have his blessing. Every Christian should desire to marry in a biblical way, properly. The way we see here, that the man leaves his father and his mother, he holds fast to his wife, they become one flesh. It is upon this basis, it's upon this basis that wives are told to submit to their husbands. 
because they are one flesh. It's upon this basis that husbands are told to love their wives because they are one flesh. And as we are going to see in the coming weeks, um, husbands will again be commanded to love their wives. Wives should be, uh, would be exhorted to respect their husbands. And the apostle is going to, is going to say that this, this mystery is profound. That it speaks of, refers to Christ and his church. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which is clear. We thank you that the text before us has pertinent truths. Truths that cannot be overlooked. Oh, how we pray that you may help us to be watchful. Watchful of the doctrines of the world. The teachings of the world which want to redefine what marriage is. Help us to love what you love and to hate what you hate. To be disgusted by that which disgusts you. Help us, Lord, to see this clear picture of what marriage is. This call that you give to the wives and to the husbands and the you know the foundation of it that we have there in Genesis and to seek to walk in it to seek to emulate it please lord allow that our church will be filled with men and women who have left their parents cleaving to one another becoming one flesh unions and representing being a representation of the relationship between Christ and his church. Please, Lord, fill us with your word. Fill us with your spirit. Bless us with what we've heard. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.